Hello and welcome to the ETPHD team podcast episode number 102 with myself and Georgia. Hi Georgia, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I just felt like my voice was just about to go as we started. That would be a peach, but it's not. It's back. Um, how's your week been? Do you have any exciting news? I feel like that's a leading question because I, I feel bad if you don't. Yeah, what's exciting? Um... The sun is shining. That's exciting. The sun is shining. That has been beautiful. Actually, do you know what's really exciting is that you can go for a walk after work now and it's daylight and it's warm. Like there's no storms. It's not howling down with rain. That's kind of exciting in in my little life. <laughs> oh, I agree. I absolutely agree. And it's so nice to be able to, yesterday I was running around like a blue arse fly and I went for my walk before I was doing a live last night and I sat on the beach for about five minutes eating my protein bar in silence and I was like oh I've missed being able to do this and I know I've been away so I have such a privilege there but it was so nice just to sit and then I did my went through my like mindful moments which I've not done in ages of if people don't know what mindful moments are by now get to know where you just run through all of your senses and take in like what you see smell hear taste feel and um that and I was like oh this is really nice because I don't know about you but when I get super super busy I definitely I definitely forget to stop and stopping watching Kardashians for half an hour before bed is not stopping it's still like still stimulating your brain in some way so I'm trying to be more intentional with that so the sun helps with that because it's much nicer to do it outside agreed absolutely and the other thing I've been doing um oh I was gonna phrase it like experimenting in the kitchen which sounds a bit weird but like playing with recipes in the kitchen um like I found a really cool account that has quite a lot of dairy-free recipes which for me is amazing because I do get a little bit bored sometimes of being like how am I going to substitute this how is this going to be like texture wise so she's done all the work which is great I just get to use the recipes um and altering those a little bit and that's really fun like I don't know about you but I go through phases where I'll kind of discover some new recipes and I'll introduce them into my like weekly or monthly kind of cooking routine and then after a I don't know like six eight weeks of that I'll then kind of be like okay now I'm ready to explore some more so I'm kind of in my exploration stage right now and I always like that like increasing my repertoire of things that I can actually make that I think yeah I could fit this in and I would really enjoy this so yeah for reference you have to be dairy free don't you you're not just doing it for food exclusion let's just make oh, no. a disclaimer right now. <laughs> yes yes if I could eat dairy I would I mean I can get away with tiny quantities like PMS week if I want some chocolate I can have like a bar of chocolate and we're okay um but it's certainly not something that I can include regularly without repercussions so yeah yes Jen. it's not by choice it's by force <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um okay let's get cracking with the questions you want to go first I do actually I would love to go first and I've got a lovely question and I think you're going to really enjoy answering this one as well because it's just so sweet um so this is for my clients we've been working together just coming up to about five or six weeks now and she has said only a fan <laughs> I can't speak, sorry. <laughs> Only a handful of my closest family know that I'm working on my relationship with food and body, but I'm finding it difficult explaining exactly what I'm doing. So my question is, could you help me explain what I'm doing? My friends will notice at some point that I'm not dieting or tracking, and I want to be able to explain and have a really open conversation about it, but I can't find the way to go about it. Isn't it interesting that 
when it comes to coaching or anything to do with food, we have to explain why it's not fat loss. Mm. It's like, if it's not fat loss, then what are you even doing? And it's, I mean, that's, that's obviously a product of diet culture and years and years of the only people that ever would talk about <clears throat> monitoring what they eat is, or looking at what they eat or getting curious about what they eat where people who are trying to drop body fat are trying to be smaller. So it's really interesting that even now that we feel unsure of how to talk about the fact that ultimately what we're doing is just working on our health. It's like the easiest way to say it is of course that you're working on your relationship with food. And we have that as such a general statement for the work that we do, but you're improving your health. You're working on your relationship with food in a non-diet way. So that's what like that's what it is for this person who's not dieting obviously we do have clients who diet but it does I don't think it needs to necessarily be any more complicated than that but you can introduce things like you know we're working on how to make my diet healthier because as much as we try and practice food neutrality there's no escaping the fact that some foods are more healthful than other foods so you're working on introducing more healthful foods into your diet you're working on having a healthier relationship with exercise so that you want to do it rather than you feel that you need to do it you're working on incorporating a healthy lifestyle into your overall life rather than feeling like you need to be um on or off a plan I think there are lots of ways to word it and it depends on what your focus says, I suppose, is what is how, what you're going to answer, like how you're going to answer that question. Agreed. She's actually followed up the second part of that question um, and explained it perfectly herself. And I love the way that she's explained it. So I'm going to read it out because I think it's, it's lovely to hear that from like from her point of view as well. So she's finished that with, this isn't really a question, but an observation. Um, going back to the question that I asked a couple of weeks ago, comparing myself to a friend who looks amazing, who is dieting. I met up with her recently. She's one of my oldest and best friends. And after seeing and hearing how stressed and tired she feels from dieting and forcing herself to go to the gym, it's made me feel that I don't ever want to go back to feeling restrictive. I really enjoy my time in the gym and I, I want to enjoy that and what I eat and not have stress or guilt um from that I've got a girly weekend in a few months time and it feels really weird and so exciting and a huge sense of relief not to be stressing that I have to diet and restrict for it in advance well, there you go nailed it nailed it herself I love it that is your answer um okay next question Becca's question how to stay on track during busy work days hmm that's a good question because busy can really vary can't it like your day can day-to-day can be super different um I would say have a loose structure that is helpful for you like a guideline whether it comes to sort of I tend to take my lunch break around say 12 till 2 so you know that you've got a bit of a break coming up there plan um and prep some meals so that you have something convenient as well the worst thing and I've been there myself is when you are rushing around at work you've got a 20 minute break and you've got no food on you and you think right well it's going to take me 10 minutes to get to the shops 10 minutes back I'll have to wolf it down so having some meal prep can be really helpful I think as well um and so I thought I sort of just I I'm not dis- I agree with that, but I disagree with the concept that busyness stops you from being able to quote unquote stay on track. Now, mm-hmm. if 
everyone's different in terms of what quote unquote on track looks like so some for some people that might be dieting second to calorie deficit for other people it might be eating regularly and of course if you are say for example you're somebody who's trying to overcome eating and on track to you looks like eating every three hours if you're super busy and you're at work and you don't get a break for five hours then it's very difficult and it's just about offering yourself compassion and accepting what you can control and what you and letting go of what you can so if you've I used to do this when I was teaching. I would teach in a lab for four hours in the afternoon. And it was when I was on prep. So I would always be eating at the same time. My body was hungry and knew exactly when it wanted to eat. But there was nothing that I could do about it. I couldn't walk out of a lab where we're taking blood samples to be like, I'm just going to go and have my broccoli and chicken and whatever. So it was like, okay, well, I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to have to be aware that on this day, this is what it's like. So perhaps an acceptance of those things that you can't control really important. But if it's more like a calorie deficit, dieting makes it easy. It, being busy makes it easier. And I hate to I hate to say that there are, there are obviously like exceptions to mums, parents who maybe are trying to balance, juggle their kids' lives with their own work, with their own dieting. That might be slightly different. But on the whole, it helps you get into a routine you have to be focused you don't have time to be distracted with food you don't have time to be sitting on my fitness pal and working things out you don't have time to be like you just don't have the time to be thinking about food you prepare in advance and you crack on with your day and actually it's very very easy to fall into quite a structured routine with it and even if it's not dieting even if you're trying to gain weight so say for example you're trying to recover from HA same thing applies you prepare yourself you bring enough food and you don't have time to overthink the fact that you're eating more than you maybe would like to eat and why that's important all of these things you don't even need to think about it because you're just getting on with your day-to-day life because you're so busy when I was when I was building this business and I was lecturing full-time I was writing a whole new postgraduate course I was building this business so I was working on it four hours a day and I was prepping so I was in the gym two hours a day and dieting and I did that for six to nine months where I was up at 4 45 in the morning in the gym at five for two hours did my day finished the uni at six went to Costa worked there for three hours went home went to bed did the same thing again for six to nine months and came second in Britain because I was lean right like like and I know that that's kind of like grind harder diet culture type and that's not what I was certainly never condoned doing that But what I can say is I've never been as busy in my life as I was then. I was working 13, 14 hour days and prepping for two hours, training for two hours a day. And it it was easier then than it ever was at weekends when I wasn't working as much, although I was still working one job. I wasn't working in the uni. I found it even harder at weekends because I had time to think about what I was doing. That's completely disordered. But you can understand where... I think it's really empowering to reframe it as like, great, I'm really busy. That means if I just get on top of my planning, this is going to be quite easy for me to do because I can just be bang, bang, bang with it rather than, oh my God, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do these things. And like prepping your meals, regardless of whether they're fat loss meals or gaining muscle meals, whatever it is, prepping your meals doesn't have to be that complex. Protein bars, Greek yogurt, bagels, like things, you can easily eat these things without really having to prep them bring in raw veg with you that you've just like that you buy from the shop or that you've cut up a bag of carrots or fruit all of that is quite easy to do 
I think it only gets difficult when you overcomplicate it or you decide that it's too hard because you're because you're busy so I kind of it's one of my one of my things I think people look at us and think oh they're very compassionate they've got good boundaries they don't overwork and all these things and it's like for all of us at some point in our lives to get where we want to get to we have to overwork and so we've probably managed to do it and when we're busy and I think it's just about having boundaries having uh, and preparing and putting your mindset in the right place of great this is an opportunity rather than this is an obstacle yeah yeah embrace being busy prepare and plan I think that's probably the biggest key and like I I do it myself quite regularly with like batch cooking I know that like my lunch breaks I don't want to spend an hour like cooking and then eating I want to eat and then get back to work but if you've got your food ready to go all you have to do is microwave it so on a Sunday afternoon spending 45 minutes to an hour just getting stuff ready you can spare an hour at the weekend to do that um yeah oh I just I just got flashbacks to when like probably one of the first couple first few times I prepped when I used to prep my meals on a Sunday and I oh I would cook I would it was when I ate chicken so I don't really eat eat that much anymore and I would batch cook the chicken like a whole big tray of chicken and then put it into put it onto all the tubs and then freeze it so that like on a Thursday I could defrost it and it was cooked chicken and I could eat it that is disgusting that actually makes me want to vomit (laughs) and it was not tasty at all but I would do two hours of prep on a Sunday and all my meals were pretty much done for the week but it was oh it's just hideous don't ever do that don't ever prep on a Sunday and freeze your chicken down that you've cooked and then I don't feel that there's ever a need to do that well there clearly was for me but were you you just defrosting it and then eating it defrosted or were you reheating it as well I was reheating it but it wasn't like in a it wasn't in like a casserole or in a night it was just like just chicken chicken with like frozen broccoli or whatever it was hashtag dedicated (laughs) disgusting it makes me feel sick don't ever don't ever do that that's not a healthy relationship with food by any stretch of the imagination so let's just put that disclaimer out there now we'll take that on board I think (laughs) um okay next question so I caught myself this week feeling crappy about having covid and feeling so ill it made me think about being in a bigger body and would I have struggled like this had I caught it a few years ago when I was three to four stone lighter I went back looking at pictures and saw a picture of myself after having my son, so not at my lowest weight, but I looked so happy and so healthy. I've set this picture as my phone background, one, because my son looks so cute, and two, because I looked so happy and want to feel healthy and happy in my body like that again. Is that bad to keep that as a visual reminder? I don't think so. I mean, it could go either way, right? I think that what's amazing is that and I know that you've this person's probably been really careful in the way that they've worded it they're not saying I've kept that there as a reminder of I want that body I've I've kept that there for a reminder of I want that feeling and I think that that's okay in my personal opinion I don't think there's a right or wrong I really don't I think if you're sticking pictures of bodies on your fridge and saying like before you go and eat a meal you have to look at this body before you get something out of the fridge I think that's problematic but do I think having a nice phone on your as as a memory a nice picture on your phone as a nice memory and a reminder of what's important to you is bad I don't think so I don't know what do you think 
No, I'd agree. We, we did discuss this a little bit um, around her values and family is one of her values and health is one of her values. And she wants to feel healthier and better able to run and play and keep up with her kids. And that's the feeling that she wants. And that's what her outcome is when we begin working on um, fat loss. So it's not the size that she's looking for exactly as she's described in that photo it's that feeling of feeling healthy and being able to kind of like run around comfortably um that I think is her real her real motivation underlying that so it's come from a really healthy place mm. definitely okay great <clears throat> Steph's question I struggle with feeling connected with my body my emotions I always feel I always generally feel fine until I'm very aware that I am not. Oh, can't really at all. And same with hunger. I really struggle with the hunger scale and I feel I am guessing through, I am trying to check in with myself. I don't know if this is linked with ADHD or not. Um, sorry, there was a second part to that question. So I was just checking it wasn't the same question. Um, it's super normal to feel like you're guessing your way through, guessing your way through, re-establishing your hunger and feel this curious because you are because you're getting curious and when you're curious you're it's unknown and when you're unknown when it's unknown you feel like you're guessing so that's super super normal and I think it's important that you don't pathologize that like there's something wrong with you this is a new journey you're doing the unknown you're going to feel like you're guessing your way through it and I think with the struggling to feel connected with your body and your emotions if we take it separately and we look at your body first, if you've spent years and years dieting or years and years overeating or years and years overexercising, then again, it's going to feel you've spent so many years disconnecting from your body and ignoring, intentionally ignoring your body. So if you're dieting and you you have hunger signals, you intentionally ignore them sometimes. Or if you're exhausted, but you go to the gym anyway, you're intentionally ignoring what your body is saying. So of course that's going to feel challenging and same with emotions and I'm laughing because if Anna's here she would just be red in the face because like many of us have been the queens of I am fine this is fine everything is fine until it's not and that is a bit of a product of our environment and a bit of a product of um a lot of people who have troubled relationships with foods are the people who say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, we're very positive, look at me, I am so happy all the time, this is great. And then we go into, into our bedrooms or our houses and we overeat as a way to suppress the feelings that we're not allowing ourselves to vocalise. So then when it comes to vocalising your feelings, it feels horrible and it doesn't feel natural initially. It doesn't feel natural it feels vulnerable, it feels scary. And of course we go back to what we, we feel most comfortable in, even though it's not the most helpful thing, which is suppressing our feelings. So I think I think ADHD is, is not quite anything to do with ADHD in this situation. It's, it's much more likely that all of these feelings are super normal and a byproduct of the life that you've lived up until now. And that's okay. And it's because of, the yeah the environment that we live in but it won't feel like this forever and the struggle means that you're doing that you're doing the work and the curiosity and the unknown means that you're doing the work and that's great and it won't always be like that soon you'll be like me and you just cry at the top of a hat and it's just fantastic so 
wait for that day to come. Agreed. I mean, I feel personally attacked by that response, Amelia. Thank you. But I would, I would agree with that. And like a lot of the time we do avoid our feelings. We do kind of say like the whole I'm fine culture. And I remember my first few sessions with my therapist um, my sister and I see the same therapist. And I remember my sister saying like, oh, I just feel so alleviated afterwards I really cry and I was like ha fool I don't cry ever and I would sit there like almost like a challenge she'd be like do you feel like crying and I'd like no I'm fine and then one day I was just like do you know what actually yeah I I do identify this feeling and then she'd be like no what's underneath that and I'm like oh okay well actually it's this and like once I started connecting to that it still takes practice like sometimes I still kind of think like right, I'm on the surface level and this is what I'm feeling. And I have to really be quite proactive and say, well, that's how it's displaying. Like it's coming out as anger, but actually why am I angry? And then underneath that, it's like, oh, because I'm sad or disappointed. But underneath that, it's fear. And mine is nearly always coming back to fear. And now I have to connect with that and be like, okay, well, that's why I can be so avoidant of these things because I don't want to feel those emotions because they're really tough. And that takes practice as well. So I think be really, like you said, compassionate with yourself and don't just expect to click with all of those, first of all. But then when it comes to things like hunger scale as well, I think for some perspective, I can't think of a single client who has come back after a week or two of doing hunger scale and saying, oh, I've nailed it. I'm good, let's go. Everyone will kind of say, that was really interesting. I really struggled to connect with that. And then there'll be a day where they kind of think that really clicked. And it's different for everybody. It might take four weeks. It might take six weeks. It might take several months. For some people, it can take even longer, depending on what you're having to work through. So again, it, it is about um, being patient with yourself and just accepting that you're not going to be perfectly ticking every box all the time and that you, you're going to have to work through that process. Um, and there's nothing wrong with you for needing that time either. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um your question my question um okay we have a weekend with family coming up and I'm keen to feel less guilty about my overall food intake however I'm going to be limited by what's available at my mother-in-law's house and at meals do you have any suggestions for making myself feel more in control I'm planning to take some yogurt and maybe some protein powder along to stay more consistent with my protein intake I think the guilt is not necessarily about what you eat the guilt is about the stories that you tell yourself around that so absolutely you can feel free to bring some protein with you to help you with making sure that you're eating enough protein and it will probably help you be a little bit more mindful on the whole but aside from that I would think about Think about what your boundaries are going into that weekend. So think about um, what's important to me. How do I want to show up at this event, at this family event? I think the how to show, how do I want to show up for anything is really important because you don't want to show up as someone who is preoccupied by food and someone who feels guilty when they eat. This is what you said in the question. It's about avoiding that feeling of guilt and feeling more in control and the control thing is it's not about control it's about making decisions in line with what's important to you so before you go think what is important to me and how am I going to how am I going to act in line with what's important to me 
in a situation where other people are around me and that's usually boundaries taking on what's important to you making decisions that are important to you not decisions that are to please other people or to make other people feel comfortable uh, aside from that recognizing that it's just a weekend away and it doesn't really it's, even if you ate completely differently even if you didn't take protein with you and you just ate the meals that you were given for a couple of days and cracked on with life it would make zero difference to you zero difference to anything at all the difference comes with I feel guilty because I'm eating um half a pizza instead of chicken and vegetables and potatoes so I'm just going to eat all of that pizza and then I'm going to eat all of the ice cream because I feel guilty so it's try and be as keep as as solid as a as you can perspective so take a step back throughout the weekend where you just pause for a second and think like realistically how much does this impact me and how important is this because it I, I wish someone had said to me in the olden days that weekend with your mates where you're drinking and you're going out and you're like having chips and cheese at two in the morning after dancing for five hours that's going to make no difference to anything that you're doing at all what's what it is going to make a difference to your health is how horrible you are to yourself after that and how you then eat according to that it's not this it's not the situation it's what you're telling yourself so really I think the key is really being accountable to the stories and the narratives that are going on, on in your head yeah absolutely that and also feeling comfortable with some compromise as well because you can't always control your food environment like for example if I go to visit my mum she is vegetarian and I know you don't like chicken so sorry but I love chicken I so I know mom. that there's not going to be chicken on the menu when I'm there and if I if I fancy some she's more than happy for me to cook some but in reality I'd rather not faff around in the kitchen while she's trying to make a meal I'd rather join in with what she's eating and sit down and have that meal with her um and enjoy it and like you said, it's a small, a small window, a weekend. I'm going to survive if my protein is a bit lower for a couple of days. And the upside is there's less stress and you're going to enjoy the situation more as well. Mm. Um, so I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Essential amino acid supplements slash powder. Are they really worth it? A lot of people at my gym seem to take them or dilute them in their water bottles, but I've always been told they're overrated. Yes, you've been told right. There's no if you if you're eating a, a well balanced diet, there's no need to be supplementing with um, too many too many supplements in general. But essential amino acids, like they they don't make a huge difference when it comes to consuming them in in, in the gym. Like you're definitely better off eating actual yeah. food. Same as BCAAs as well. Like they're not necessary. Not even they're not even not necessary. They're actually potentially detrimental. They a add unnecessary unnecessary calories, which if you're a drop of body fat, then that's important to you. They also will potentially impact what we call the refractory period. So when we're trying to build muscle, we want to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, and then we want to let our muscle we want it to turn over. So we want muscle protein breakdown, and it's a cyclical. Um, process of synthesis and breakdown that allows us to build muscle maintain muscle whatever our goals are if we're consistently drinking branched chain amino acids or essential amino acids throughout the day you're inhibiting that refractory period and that can that can potentially be detrimental to us so people that drink them don't know what they're doing unless now 
the few exceptions that I would say, well, there's one exception that I would say where essential amino acids potentially maybe might be helpful, not drinking all day, but for people who are vegan, who have a really, really limited food intake, who don't think about their protein sources on the whole and struggle to get complete protein sources in and muscle protein synthesis for them or muscle building is super, super important. Then in that situation, an essential amino acid supplement might potentially be helpful. That's a thing. I'm trying to think if there's any other situations in my head where I think that that would be important, but but there isn't. So definitely would not recommend consuming them to 99.9% of people. Save your money. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Um, I know the focus for me is on having full fat foods where possible. However, how does this tie in with high protein yogurts that I love? I was looking at them the other day and whilst being high in protein, which is another focus of my work around food, they're fat free. Am I overthinking and should I just eat the yogurt? Yeah, just eat the yogurt. Eat the yogurt, bro. You love them. They're delicious. They're a great source of protein. Great. What like when we're talking about how encouraging consumption sometimes of full like the regular versions or the full fat versions of foods is because often they taste better, and often it's because we're we are overly focused on reducing our fat intake as a way to monitor or control our body composition that can be detrimental to taste and micronutrient intake or macronutrient intake, i.e. fat intake. So that's why we say to focus on it, but. That's usually because 5% Greek yogurt tastes infinitely better than 0% Greek yogurt. Anyone that dis- dis- like disagrees, I think, is a liar. I'm going to go as far as saying that. Um, whereas high-protein yogurt, sometimes they're delicious. So, yeah, don't overthink it. It's not about having a food rule. It's not only you can only eat full-fat foods. It's like, let's encourage bringing some of these back in and see what you actually like to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And honouring preference as well, like if you genuinely love them and they taste great, like why would you avoid them? Mm, agree. I'd also like to add on to the second part of that question that this person said, not a question, but after four weeks of working with you, Georgia, I can't believe the change in my mindset around food. So I just like to add that one in because I have it written down. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you did amazing work. Uh, okay, Seth's question, Seth's client's question. Any tips generally for work? I work 13 hours as a mental health crisis nurse and it is very fast paced. I'm always busy on the go, either on phones or driving a lot to people's houses. I'm often unable to actually take a break, but any advice or thoughts for this? I do listen to your podcast in the car and Saturn Returns, which is a calming podcast, noted, but often eat on the go, etc. And there are so many time pressures. So this is a key example of sometimes you can't help it if you're super busy, like it's very easy to say well it's easy because you're busy but if you don't have literally don't have a time for breaks this is a kind of key example of that and I think it's about again similar to what I was saying earlier like controlling what you can control and accepting what you can't and if you genuinely genuinely cannot take a break then you can't like you can't change that I don't know your job I think trying to find at the beginning, let's talk about mindful moments, but trying to find even just two minutes of the day where you can stop and slow down. If you are really constantly highly strung, and I don't mean that as a personality trait, I mean that as a you know fast heart rate, uh, chronically high cortisol levels, always stressed and busy, then 
taking a mindful moment where you put your hand on your heart and just stop for two minutes where you get that skin on skin contact just to try and bring yourself back down ground in yourself doing that once or twice a day can be really really powerful it seems like something so small but often it's these small things that we create into a habit that actually are really really helpful and if you do for example have to eat in the car then turning your music off and I mean, I don't know what the law is around eating in a car, so I'm not encouraging you to do this. I don't know. I don't know if I'm encouraging you to break the law. But if you can sit in your car and just turn off all of your distractions and just focus on what you're doing, even if it's you've just got five minutes to eat a protein bar or whatever it might be, just try your very, very best to be focused on that one thing of what you're doing. Yeah that that's it's a hard one to work around I mean if you can bookend your day as well like if you can have a moment in the morning where you get to have your breakfast with some peace and quiet amazing if you've got kids running around at home and it's just not possible then it's you know fingers in your ears maybe or something in the evening as well like you said if you are having those mindful moments during the day can you just take 60 seconds in the evening to do like a breathing exercise to catch your breath and kind of bring your nervous system back down can your evening meal be the one where you are able to remove distractions and take your time with it and really really enjoy it and then your day is what your day is but you get to kind of finish the day in a way that works really well for you mm. I don't know. Mm. um okay can ha affect people really overweight like myself i haven't had a proper period Sorry, I haven't had a period properly for about five years and never occurred to me that it can be an actual thing. For reference, this client averages two periods a year. So it can be. It's very rare. It could be if it's related to stress. Because on the whole, HA is related to hypothalamic amenorrhea is related to low energy availability and stress and genetic factors. But some people on rare occasions it can be related to stress I would be one really really encourage you to speak to your doctor about it and get blood tests because I would be more inclined to think it could be related to something like PCOS or um, there are other reasons why you don't have you can not have a period for example and this is certainly me not saying this but one of the reasons why I always encourage people to advocate and go to the doctors and not just decide that they have HA is because you can there's such a thing as like a I think it's not I think it's not not sure if it's posterior or anterior but it's pituitary gland tumor benign but that can cause um, menstrual cycle dysfunction and it's usually just a case of taking it out and, and, and that's fine but it needs to be checked so I don't know why it is I, I would suggest it's probably unlikely to be HA and I would suggest it's probably more likely to be something like PCOS. But um, speak to your doctor because, for example, if they do a blood test, your relationship of hormones, so follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, will look at those. And the ratio of that can be indicative of HA or PCOS, depending on how high or low that ratio is. So it can help you distinguish between what that might be. And with PCOS, there are other things like hyperandrogenism and polycystic ovaries that they'll look at too. And there are other sort of signs and symptoms that it might be PCOS or potentially something else. Agreed. Yeah, we definitely discussed heading to the doctors to have that um, conversation. Something that she mentioned that had put her off in the past is weight stigma. So whatever she often goes to the doctors with, the first response is always kind of lose weight rather than actually investigate 
what the condition is. So we're working quite hard on um, confidence in self-advocacy there. Mm. I think a really good like it's tough right I think a really good way or a really helpful thing to do and I did this in the past for something else when it, when I had zero confidence in myself and it was more of a mental health thing this was years and years and years ago and I, I basically wrote out a script that I wanted to say when I went in because I knew I used to get I was just so shy anyway but I would get so nervous that I would almost cry every time I went to the doctors and I could never advocate for myself and so I wrote a script, I, I printed out a research paper, I think I was like 24 and I, and I was nervous, but like then I got a second opinion and argued with the doctor and I was like, oh, okay. But if you plan what you want to say before you go in, so you could go in and say, um, I recognise that you're going to tell me to work on my weight and I understand that just to reassure you, I am actually working with a health professional now and we are working on healthful behaviours. So I'd like to keep that out of the conversation and focus on what's going on so that you you take ownership you take control and you direct that conversation as soon as you go in which I know sounds quite scary but it's very very empowering when you've got that few things that you think this is what I'm going to say this is what I'm going to say and you and you'll be really nervous because it's a scary thing to do especially if you've had bad experiences in the past but they doctors have heard a lot of things before they've heard probably everything before and you're nervous because it means something to you but if you go in and you speak with a shaky voice and you say this is what I'm doing and I'm really nervous to say this but this is what I'm doing they'll be like great any good doctor at least will be like great okay noted let's look at what else is going on love that okay Uh, a very personal one we love personal ones um, okay, do you think it's possible or even appropriate for someone to work as a health and nutrition co- coach whilst they're still working through their own issues around food and body image? Absolutely. Welcome, friend. I mean, we're all always working on it anyway, but um, I think it's great that you can recognise that in yourself, the, the support that you need and the things that you want to work through. And it's only going to make you a better coach being able to have that um those skills yourself and you're going to be able to support your clients differently with different language in the way that they need as well like one of the best things that well not to make you big-headed here Amelia but one of the best things that ever happened for me as a coach was that I found you when I needed to really be consistent in my relationship with food and relationship with body and not only did that make me feel more confident and more stable in myself but it also gave me that confidence in my abilities to support my clients in the way that um didn't feel um what's the word like it's easier to say this for you than it is for me to do it myself I knew that I was able to do it myself and therefore better able to coach my clients through the things that they were struggling with as well so I would fully agree that you can you can be both and do both yeah I mean I agree I think there's a certain level of everyone can be empathetic but there's a certain level of understanding that comes through having been through a process yourself it can really really help with understanding empathy etc what I would say though and I did a post about this recently is you want to be on your way to improving that so you're working with Lynn so you are which is fantastic but I know of a lot of coaches who are not doing the work, who do have issues with their relationship with food and body, who feel that they're doing the work by controlling things with their diet, etc., but are not really doing the work. And I don't, and then and then they'll have things like 
improve your relationship with food in their bio, for example, I think that's problematic because if you cannot commit to doing the work yourself, then you shouldn't be an authority in guiding someone else to be able to do that because you don't understand it and you and you're not practicing what you preach. Right? We talk a lot about practicing what you preach, what you preach, and that's not about the way your body looks. It's about how you treat yourself, how you treat other people, your healthful choices, etc. And there's this. On top of that, there's this huge issue that we see in counselling, psychotherapy, coaching of transference and projection. And this is a big problem. And this could be anyone, even if they're working on their relationship with food, is that we go through it. So say, for example, this, didn't, this wasn't you, Georgia, so I'm just using you because you're just talking about us working together. But say, for example, um, you were, you weren't, say, for example, you were overeating, right? Mm-hmm. And you and you got through it because of the work that you did and then you went on and worked with someone else and you went well that worked with me so therefore this must work with them this must be how they're feeling because this is how I was feeling and it clouds your judgment and how you work with someone because you see it through your own lens of well that worked for me and that's not necessarily what the same is what's going to be the same for everyone else and it's like everyone has this their own lens of what they see things through and it's very difficult to take a step back and be objective and not see other people through that same lens but and I and I definitely see this and I think for people that are very very early on in improving their relationship with food they need to be mindful of the extent to which they're supporting other people with this whilst they're still at the very beginning of that journey because when you're at that very beginning of that journey, journey your self-awareness might be a little bit, might not be 100%, not that anyone's self-awareness is generally 100%, let's be honest, unless you're Dalai Lama or Oprah maybe, who knows. Um, you're just not, it's very hard to stop seeing through like the cloud, like the, judge, like the cloud of judgment and self-preoccupation, food preoccupation that you've already got of your own. So I think... I think also, just to go off on one, I think also people are driven to work with people that have the same pain points as they do because they feel that they can relate. That doesn't always make them qualify to do it. That's the post that I put out. It was like, being a, sometimes you feel like an imposter because you shouldn't actually be doing that thing in the first place. If you're regularly binge eating or overeating and you are saying that you can support people with their mindset, I don't think that you're necessarily in the place to do that yet. But there are certainly ways that you can support someone to improve their relationship with food. That's not um, to that extreme. So educating people, working on mindfulness, all of these things will improve someone's relationship with food. Do I think that you should necessarily position yourself as an authority there if you're that early on in it? No. So I think it's, yeah, it's tough. I think most people, anyone who's working with us, and has been working with us for a while is in a good position to be able to distinguish between those things mm. agreed I enjoyed your rant <laughs> it's a thing I know it just I think it's because I see so much like we've seen over the, like oh, I've seen the development of the buzzword of relationship with food so much like when I started nobody talked about it 
and I remember talking about like mindful eating and stuff and then people were like oh, it's going to be the buzzword not because I said it but it's going to be the buzzword for like the next year and it was and then I saw so many people using relationship with food as like this selling point without really realizing what it was and having their own issues more so that clouded their judgment and and it, it frustrates me because it'd be like oh I intuitively eat and I track my macros at the same time and I can help you improve your relationship with food and it's like no anyway <laughs> no I think it's something that I see a lot in the industry um and this is more no no not an attack at all but more coming from personal trainers so as in people that have worked within the industry like over the years is that a lot of them don't necessarily they've never really worked in their relationship with food but they don't really understand what they're saying and they've picked up on some of these words so they talk about overeating they talk about binge eating um they talk about relationship with food and yet the discussions and the posts that they have don't make sense but a lot of people are resonating with it because they're like oh yeah like I I know that I do this and I know that I do that and I kind of think this is not the place to get the support that you need right now and it's very hard to um approach that conversation so a lot a lot of the time my social media posts are a response to poor posts that I've seen where I'm like just to clear up a few things here um and kind of hope that people pick up the information that they need that mm-hmm. way around um I'm not really one for calling people out but really, it, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> um yeah yeah but I agree there is a a line somewhere mm. uh, okay next question Okay, I'm very excited about this one. Um, so with the month of Ramadan coming up in April, it would be awesome if you guys could share any insight on how to balance fasting with our health goals. Um, fasting contradicts a lot of the principles that we focus on. Um, for example, eating regular meals, eating when you're hungry, drinking water throughout the day, having carbs before a workout, etc. So what are your thoughts on how we can fast out of religious obligation, but still fuel ourselves properly exercise and work towards our work towards our goals um i'd love to hear oh i'd also love to hear any advice you have for getting back into the routine um after ramadan ends great question um so i've worked with a ton of people who have been through ramadan multiple times um in our coaching relationship and Honestly, there are a couple of things that that seem to be supportive for these people. But realistically, it's about, I think the the most important thing is the mindset behind it again of this is something that you choose to do because it's, yes, it's a cultural obligation. But but, so all of the things that make that important for you culturally, keep them at the forefront. So what does it mean to you? Why are you doing it? Why is it important to you? Understanding your why, but really kind of, remembering this is the priority for this month and you can still certainly support your health because actually if we look at flourishing health this idea of it's basically a model of holistic health and one of the facets of flourishing health is spiritual health it's super super important and so honoring this in the way that is right for you your family um, your culture is part of your overall health And so keeping that in mind is really important and really empowering to know that it is still part of your overall journey. 
that's the first thing um so in terms of like actual tangibles or changeables or quantifiables most of my clients and this i think it's about what when does training work for you first of all when does like do you prefer to train when you have just started your fast and you're fueled most of my clients who i've worked with tend to like to train at the end of their fast just before they can then go and rehydrate and restore their muscle glycogen and actually eat and not pushing for progressive overload at this time not pushing yourself to complete failure but just moving your body in a way that feels right and most of them tend to enjoy doing that mostly before they break their fast and a lot of my clients have liked to break their fast again this is going to depend on your family traditions and your your like your situation that you're in in terms of people you're around etc but a lot of my clients like to break the fast with a lot of protein I say a lot a serving of protein just because it helps them be a little bit more mindful when it comes to enjoying the food with their family later on um whatever meals they may be focusing on being super mindful this is a really nice time to focus on grounding and mindfulness and the more spiritual side of working on your relationship with food and then again just before you um, fast having a complete protein serving again just to tide you over as best as possible it will be great and again something that might help you it's tough right because you're probably not eating you probably don't have autonomy over your meals you're probably in the sense of you have autonomy on how, on how mindful you are and you have autonomy on what you put on your plate but you don't have complete autonomy over food choice probably but having protein and fat before like at the end or as much of a mixed meal as you can to help slow down digestion and, and help you feel a bit fuller for longer will be helpful but again it's trying trying to incorporate your choices and your own boundaries within what is most important at this time which is your culture and your traditions within that agreed nailed it i think coming back to values is always going to be a really helpful one when you're working slightly outside of your um what would be like your ideal kind of situation with relationship with food um particularly for this one because perfectionism is deeply rooted <laughs> so it will actually be a really nice opportunity to challenge that a little bit as well so it's going to be a great month it is um i'm trying to find a short question to to end um what's your weight around period times i feel like i bloat so much on my period some stress questions do you have anything to add um not sure what the question is i think i think it's i think the question it's not i suppose it's not really a question but how to deal with water weight around your period i think mm. is i mean there's not a huge amount that you can do it's gonna happen welcome friend sometimes i look eight months pregnant during certain parts of my cycle there's not much we can do i mean your food choice might change a little bit and, it, and it's good to have that flexibility but if it's very extreme um, and using myself as an example <laughs> it often is um just being aware of things like um salty food you are going to naturally retain a bit more water so for me like salt and vinegar crisps are like my craving before my period and I know that that's just going to make me gain a lot more water and feel maybe a bit more dis discomfort so 
um, just trying to be mindful of additional salt in other meals that you're making can be helpful. Um, drinking plenty of water, eating to a level that feels comfortable. Um, for example, you may find slightly reducing fiber at that point a little bit helpful if you do find that you bloat um, to an extreme amount. Um, but I mean, I, I wouldn't really change a huge amount. Um, it's one of those things that it sounds awful to be like, well, you just need to accept it and get on with it. But it, it is a case of it's a natural part of your cycle. It happens to most people on most cycles. And um, it, there's nothing wrong with you for having period bloat. Yeah, I don't think it sounds awful at all. It's acceptance. It's acceptance that look at your body doing what is totally normal for your body to do for any woman or any person who menstruates body um to do is is to blow a little bit and hold hold a bit of water what I would change is how often you body check so things that I change how often I body I mean I don't really I don't body check but like I would change that if I was somebody who'd looked in the mirror regularly I would probably actively work to reduce that I tend to have certain sports bras that I don't wear when I've got PMS because they just get tight and they make me feel uncomfortable. So maybe change like the clothes that you wear a little bit, just wear your, your comfortable clothes. And that's really like drink a lot of water, not a lot of water, but just more, a little bit more water if, if you don't, if you're not on top of that. And that's really it. I speak to one of my one of my clients, a lot of my clients about this, this kind of what can I do about scale weight changes? What can I do about my body image going down? And what can I do about these things that happen with, with PMS? And it's like, all you can do is say, I accept that my body is doing something that it's supposed to do. And that's great. Why is water weight a bad thing? Like, yes, bloating is not particularly comfortable, but it doesn't impact you to any degree of huge disadvantage unless it maybe stops you going to the gym but then maybe just take a load that week like use it to empower your choices as opposed to feeling like a victim to your circumstance use it as a bit of a great my body's doing what it needs to do how can I support it as best I can yeah absolutely that I think one of the biggest um wins that a lot of my clients see who do menstruate is actually tracking their cycle and getting used to not only oh when does my period come but also right the week beforehand how do I tend to feel what do I notice that I start doing differently like how does that impact my behavior and the change within a couple of months that people can take on board like right okay actually I realize that I do get a little bit uncomfortable with bloating and I do tend to check a bit more in the mirror um it, they choose actively to check less they choose actively to look at areas of their body that they do like and do prefer um and they also recognize yeah I was feeling a little bit rougher about how I feel about my body but I also noticed that that happens roughly at this point each month and I was able to take a step back and then kind of reason with myself and I think um that's certainly something that is worth getting to grips with um and, and kind of tracking your not only your cycle but your mood and how you respond as well i agree okay we're gonna leave it there anyone that's asked questions we promise we will answer them soon and keep them coming and thanks everyone for listening and also if you like what we talk about we have coaching spotches 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 coaching spotches spots open so feel free to miss me on instagram 
or Georgia on Instagram or head to the website emilio.fitness and we can have a chat thanks so much Georgia thank you bye Thank you.